This is gonna be garbage. Bet 20 bucks and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 86. My name is Jakob. And my name's Randy. Okie dokie, as you may have heard, we are Nicholas today as well. Is Nick still in Venice? <laughs> Venice. In Venice. Venezia, I don't know. I think it's Venezia. <laughs> he's still at the Venice Fe- Film Festival as a, uh, at the time of the recording of this and by the way um, we're still recording this ahead of the uh, freebie and the bean screening but technically this has happened because this will release one week after this happened so um, not sure what the sort of what the fallout on the on, on the t-shirts and swag will be but I think we're going to address this next week right? Yeah we'll talk about it once we know Okay yeah so yeah. stay st- Stay tuned, stay put where you are. <laughs> this is going to happen because we're recording this uh, a week ahead. So Yeah, it'd be, a, it'd be a weird time travel thing to be able to do a report right now on our, exactly. on our winners and the fun. <laughs> so, yes, stay I mean, you, tuned, you, stay tuned. You can predict, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, just, um, like, well, so we have Amanda hug and kiss and then... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, you know, stay tuned, stay put, and then just be careful anyway just um meanwhile patron plug as well so you know the full complement of um august episodes i just for- i just forgot oh my goodness and to uh to <laughs> i forgot to uh remove the firework with me from <laughs> from being free anyway so people have enjoyed like two extra days anyway anyway so the, the full complement of august episodes is available on our patreon uh, and then the Firewalk With Me episode is no longer available to be listened to for free. Uh, but just stay tuned to the show because I think every now and again some things may pop up uh, and be unlocked for free consumption. And there's still, like I think, two or three shows that are just permanently there for, for to be listened to for free. So you, you can actually go and have a bit of a taste of what we do and how it plays out. I think the thing is for free available for free and I think the retrospective about the Tarantino knockoffs and something else I think is not sure at least these two are uh, anyway so coming on to September we're launching a little bit of a sort of series of Elmore Leonard slash neo-noir tie-ins on, on the Patreon so we're gonna be just after we finish recording this we're gonna be recording and then that by the time you're listening to this hopefully the uh, Patreon shows will be available so all um, the episode about Ombre, Martin Reed directed Ombre from 1967, is going to be available as a bonus tie-in to the two episodes we're going to do on the main show towards the latter half of the month, and then possibly, maybe at the time of the, of your what you're listening to, the uh, mini retrospective of the Cohen Bra- on the Cohen Brothers neo noir films, Blood Simple, Miller's Crossing, and The Man Who Wasn't There was also going to be available two here on our patreon patreon.com slash uncut gems pod three dollars a month worth of support unlocks everything so lots of podcasts about cool movies and then in contrast to what we do on the main show these are these at least when it comes to bonus tie-ins they tend to be a bit more classic inclined so a bit more sort of well-known 
apart from the retrospectives, because retrospectives tend to kind of just be even deeper cuts sometimes. It's just to be to have fun discussions around them. Anyway, and also David Lynch uh, marathon will continue this month with a straight story. Uh, hopefully by that time Nick is going to be back from his festival circuit uh, to to lead the charge on this. Meanwhile, last week because you know last week we celebrated with classics at City Cinema we celebrated the memory of James Caan uh, with a sort of special pairing of our episode and a screening in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island in Canada of Freebie and the Bean. And then we decided to continue our little bit of a ca- cananathon. <laughs> <laughs> Cananabel. Con- I don't Conathon. Conapalooza. <laughs> Conapalooza. <laughs> uh, just to follow on, and then the choice was either to do a Richard Rush film or no, uh, but then we, we had a conversation off mic that possibly Richard Rush is, is an uncut gem material in his own right. So maybe sometime down the line we'll just do a few episodes on, about, on, on his films. Uh, so the choice went to do another 1974 James Caan film that was kind of released, I want to say, very close to. Uh, Freebie and the Bean, and that film is The Gambler. To Mexico, it ain't far enough. As a matter of fact, nowhere's far enough for you right now. I don't understand you, Axel. You didn't need this shit. You could have coasted on what you had going. Listen, I'm gonna tell you something I never told a customer before. Personally, I never made a bet in my life. You know why? Because I've observed firsthand what we've seen the different kinds of people that are addicted to gambling. What we would call degenerates. I've noticed there's one thing that makes all of them the same. You know what that is? Yes. They're all looking to lose. You mean you know that? I could have wiped the floor with your ass. Yeah? How? By playing just the games I knew I'd win. Then why didn't you? Listen, if, if all my bets were safe, there just wouldn't be any juice. Juice? Juice. Well, whatever that's supposed to mean, I hope you got a lot of it saved up because you're sure going to be needed. The Gambler is directed by Karel Reich. I think I think it's how you pronounce Reich because he's Czech. I'm not sure. Anyway, and it was written by James Staubach and that was his first produced script. Uh, and stars James Caan, Paul Sorvino, Bert Young and Lauren Hutton and a few other folks um, in a story about a college professor whose name is Axel Fried. What a great name. Goodness, what a great name. He's an English professor in, 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 who lives in New York and he has a massive gambling addiction. And then, as, as the story goes, his gambling addiction deteriorates into a downward spiral of self-destruction. And that's about it. That's the sort of film. Anyway, so in terms of how this movie came together, I think this, as I said, it was a first produced screenplay by James Toback. And I think the story goes that James Toback worked as an English lecturer in uh in new york and then it was kind of sort of a i think semi-autobiographical attempt at a, i think he was writing a novel at the time and then it was kind of sort of autobiographical and then he turned it into a screenplay because someone told him yeah this is big this will be a good movie so he turned it into a screenplay and then he apparently showed it to his friend i think lucy sorry and and then she introduced him to robert de niro and de niro was very sort of happy about the script, and then they thought, oh, Tobak, Tobak thought De Niro should play the main role, and then someone introduced someone to, to another sort of guy, and then this ended up in the lap of uh, Carol Reich. Reich? Reich? Reich. Um, he, who was, I think, not sure if this was his first... He didn't do many, though, did he? He didn't do many films, but I think because he, he was he and how because I mean how I remember him is he's weirdly enough he's a Czech guy 
who I think he left Czech, Czechoslovakia at the time. And he, he's one of the sort of people who were um, sort of like the faces of English kitchen sink neorealism, neo like, you know, like next to yeah. like Tony Richardson. And I want to say like uh, Ken Loach, I think, was kind of coming out at the same time. He also did, he did a film called um, oh, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning, which is absolutely great, by the way. Uh, so I think maybe it was well, we must have predated because it's 1960s because Ken Loach yeah. kind of came out like a decade after. So, but this would have been the same time as Tony Richardson would be making his movies about about the sort of tough life in Britain, and then he kind of made his way to Hollywood. And I think this may have been one of his first Hollywood films, The Gambler. That is. Anyway, so, so this yeah, so Carrie didn't really think De Niro would be a good fit for this. He thought James Cannon would be a better fit, and James Cannon was basically just enjoying a career high after The Godfather uh, catapulted him into stardom. And apparently, um, that's the rest is history. The film was absolutely revered critically. I think it made a good chunk of dough at the box office, although I'm not sure, I don't have data on this, but it, critically it was a massive success. Roger Ebert loved it, everyone loved it. Everyone just swooned over this film. And then here we are, the, the film is barely talked about. Like if you think about James Caan, people talk, talk about Thief, people talk about The Godfather, and then this, maybe even Rollerball, <laughs> Elf. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but then The Gambler very rarely gets talked about. So it, it kind of feels like this is this is a film that uh, kind of fell through the cracks of the cultural zeitgeist. And then here we are trying to figure out why that is. So, Randy, tell me, what do you think about The Gambler? Well, this was a first-time watch for me. And like you just said, like for me too, like I know I know James Caan mostly from The Godfather, Misery, Elf. Elf. <laughs> oh, Misery, another one. Misery. Blanking on Misery, Jesus. But it's it's his it's his later career works that I know him from, except really for The Godfather. But as it turns out, he's got a ton of little gems in the '70s. And after he passed away, like I revisited a few of his. I saw uh, I saw Misery actually at a screening at Classics at uh, City Cinema. So. That was sort of fun to see that again, but uh, Killer Elite and Rollerball and, you know, folks will hear our thoughts on Freebie and the Bean if they listen to the episode. Um, but I think that James Caan was the real deal, man. Like he could do comedy and action and drama. And he, had... <laughs> he could do comedy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going to turn every word, just add con into it. Um, but man, the guy had star power and, you know, he, he could do banter and improv. He can, uh, you know, go inward and then go outward and show charisma. And like the, his range really, really has blown me away just in terms of my going back to revisit some of his uh, earlier films. And the gambler really, really impressed me. You know, there have been films about, uh, you know, men with addiction issues, but to me, what I found really interesting about this is it's not really about the spiral per se. It's not about starting high and ending low. Like you get some of that in here. Um, it's not about him hitting rock bottom. I, I feel he doesn't hit rock bottom in this film. It's, an attempt by Toback and also uh, Carol Reich and Khan in the central performance, I think, to try to articulate um, being on the edge of doing something impossible, if not risky, 
you know, staring down the strong likelihood of failure with a confidence that you might actually beat it. It's, it's very, very interesting. It's, it's a much more nuanced inward look at addiction. Like it's, it's not really showing us James Kahn from the perspective. I, I don't feel that, oh, well, we should feel bad for him. And it's not a sympathy type of thing. And, oh, look what he's doing to his family. It's, it's a very interesting take where it's really trying to take us into the, the moment for moment uh, business that's going on in James Kahn's head that's, that's driving the compulsion and, and the obsession to make stupid bets, bets that he knows are stupid. Like Kahn says, like, if all my bets were safe, there's no juice. And I think that's sort of a, one of the central lines here. And it's, a, it's sort of an interesting take. I really, really liked this film. And it's also very interesting to see um, the world that James Kahn lives in, because I think that it's a very interesting character to be going through this because he's a guy that's insulated and protected by all kinds of supports in his life. Like he's got He's got friends connected to the mob. He's got a well-off mother. He's got an even more well-off grandfather. And he's, you know, he's got a supporting girlfriend. Like he's got these interesting supports and this type of character we don't really see in other addiction movies as, you know, the, the guy that just starts going and losing everything. And, and to me, it's not quite that. I think it's trying to articulate the fascination with gambling rather than to show me a story of the horrors of, of gambling and what can come out of it. And I think it's a very, very interesting film and it sort of tries to dive into the psychology of it. And I really quite liked it. Uh, I was very, very impressed. How about awesome. you, Jack? What do you think? Oh, uh, for me, this was the second time I saw this. Uh, first time I saw this, it was a chance sort of encounter because I watched it on movies a few years ago, back in time. I don't know if you, if if you, if anyone who listens to this has movie or has had movie in the movie in the past. This used to be a curated sort of streaming service where they only had thirty films at any given point in time, and then they would add one every day and remove the the one that was there for thirty days. So there was always like a thirty day rolling sort of. Uh, mm. sort of a roster mm. of films and um, and they, I would just religiously watch a lot of them because A, I had massive FOMO and it was just, it's only there for 30 days when am I going to see this, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then B, they actually did show cool things I mean, okay, fair enough, like when they had they had like a week-long marathon of Laugh Diaz films, I'm like, I'm not seeing this this is like I don't have there's not enough hours in the day to film and finish watching one of them, let alone five. So <laughs> just skip those. But then I ended up watching like quite a few films from the past that I just thought I didn't I never knew existed. One of them was The Gambler. And and I just sat down what like knowing nothing about it. It was just like James Gunn's in it. Let's just let's just watch this, right? And um and I really dug it at the first sort of pass, and then I and I remember reading my own review from from uh, from a few years back recently, I think last week, and I was like, oh, of course, like because it for me this was like a 1970s sort of protoplast to um, Steve McQueen's Shame, where you have this sort of high functioning addict uh, being looked at by the sort of the un unwavering lens of the camera, how he's just dealing with 
his um his sort of his addiction right like just to, to use this word again and just in turn instead of michael fassbender, fassbender looking at michael fassbender just banging just random strangers and then just <laughs> uh just letting his sister down or something like that you kind of just look at this this dude who's has you you could say he has it all and then he still he's he's willing to piss it all away because there's no juice in what he in what he, in, in his own life existence so to speak right and then i rewatched it now knowing what i what i what i'm looking at and then it's an even more fascinating study i think it's um it's still i mean on the on the surface i was like it's a thor- thoroughly 70s production where i really dig this of the grainy 35 millimeter, millimeter aesthetic i really like this of the period the era of of just making these movies in post godfather sort of um style of the new hollywood sort of mm-hmm. kind of sort of neo realistic slash i don't know i don't even know it's like an elevated realism of the 70s i, I want to say like if you think about I, when i say elevated realism i think of something like uh, taxi driver for instance right where you where there are elements of this film where you feel like you're on the ground and you can smell the pavement and then at the same time you know you're in some some kind of a magical universe where Bert Young yeah. is just breaking people's arms <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed it just as a work of cinema it's absolutely fantastic like James Kahn is such a powerhouse. I really like this guy, and then it's such a shame that he passed away. But then again, he was he was quite old. <laughs> but and then mm. fun little fact: I can't help. I mean, there's two things I want to say. I have my 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 brother-in-law, so my wife's younger brother looks exactly like young James Kahn, like just <laughs> spitting image. And I just keep I keep thinking like whenever I see him, I need to I need to say this to him, like show him this movie, like look at this guy. This is you in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks exactly like him it's just mind-boggling to me <laughs> but at the same time he i look at him look at james khan in this 1974 film i i see like ryan gosling in an afro like it's just <laughs> yeah i i see ben affleck with a perm myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean for me this is like ryan gosling with jonah hill's hair <laughs> It's just, but yeah, you get you get the image, and I just dig this sort of era. These sort of tight shirts—they just like like unbuttoned all the way to the waist, almost. These sort of the bell-bottom uh, jeans—I kind of dig this sort of uh, aesthetic. Um, and then all these sort of massive sort of boat-sized cars, the old mobiles, and all these sort of play moves from the era. It's just fun to look at. But what's not fun to look at is what this story is about because this story is really hard rending and I'm and I'm I'm there for it like all the way. This is like this has gotten better for me on the second watch. It's absolutely fantastic. And um, here's a question for you because like you you just you just say to like well this is a guy who has all the support and then you don't really see. I mean I agree this is not flight. Like if my, Robert Zemeckis right. ever tried to direct this, he would have made flight again, right? This is. <laughs> Like, everything's yep. a little bit more nuanced. There's no such thing as like um, a wife uh, leaving a goodbye letter on a uh, just leaning on the on on like I don't know like a sheet of like like horse racing results or whatever. <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> or, or I don't know. 
uh, like you know, in flight, you have to serve one woman leaves a letter leaning against a bottle of half empty bottle of whiskey or something like this. Just like <laughs> make it more on the nose, please, Bobby Zemeckis. Anyway, uh, one film I remember when you say, Oh, there, you don't see people kind of just having all the support and still letting it go. Have you seen The Beautiful Boy? No, oh, so, okay, well, <laughs> that's a true story, have, by the way, with what with, what's not. his face, Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. Um, oh yes yeah 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 i did a, see that sorry yeah from, from a couple a few years, years ago, ago. it's yep. pretty much exactly the story that you say you don't you, you barely ever see yeah, like, well, this there, is, yeah, this is like yeah. high sort of falutin family that has everything like the guy's like a lecturer kind of like axel freed right <laughs> <laughs> they have everything all of a sudden the kid just gets addicted to crystal meth because you know why not right <laughs> because so I kind of have a feeling that the, the, my opening question was like not so much re- related to because I have a feeling we might as well just get to a little bit later. But you know about say why does this film get, doesn't doesn't it get the attention that we probably deserves even though it did get a lot of attention in the seventies. But I feel like the more pertinent question to start start with would be kind of just let's dig into the character of Axel Free. I, I feel that there is there is something yeah. in here. I, I, how do I phrase this? Like, what's what's his deal? What's what do you think is because for me this is a highly conflicted character. Because as you say, it kind of looks like he has everything, right? Yeah. But does he? Honest, and I, I think that this. I, I don't know if uh, Toback is necessarily being this interesting on purpose because I think he's just writing his own life, and I think he himself was. Uh, sort of a silver spoon type of uh, lad in terms of his own growing up. And that's what we're seeing with James Conn. So I think a lot of this is sort of, you know, genuinely pulled from Toback's Toback's own life. Um, I find, I I find with me, like it's very interesting to watch Conn because he's, a generation after what I'll call the idle rich. And he seems to be privileged and entitled and he's got a good little job. It's an acceptable job, but you know, his job probably isn't paying for his apartment, right? Like his, his grandfather this- probably set him up with a little trust fund or something that he's probably uh, getting a little bit each month. So oh, no doubt. Like he's essentially, he has a very sort of expensive, ho- I mean, he just has a hobby. Now his job is a, is a hobby, right? Yeah, it's something to it's something to keep it's something to keep him busy. That probably his his family would be okay with that type of a job. Like it's not like he went and worked, uh, you know, retail or lugging things around the docks. Like you know, this this would be acceptable in in the eyes of his mom and his dad if he were still alive, and his grandfather, you know, who are you know these uh, rich upper crust people. Yeah, they would be very happy with. Uh, young Axel going off and being uh, an intellectual and an academic and, you know, teaching at the university, even though apparently it seems just to be the one, the one class that he teaches. Right. So, yeah, I think basketball player kind of attending and just like ridiculing him every half a second. Yeah. (laughs) Like he's interesting to me in a way because he's sort of this entitled guy from, uh, you know, like a, I'll say like the idle rich. I think that's just sort of the the class and the the mm-hmm. world that he seems to be coming from. And uh, so to me, that's sort of an, an interesting piece um, because also for him, oh hey, we should we should hop on a flight to Vegas. Like, and he said how little he makes, 
But to hop on a flight to Vegas would be a big consideration, I would think, just for you know a weekend. And then on top of that, having some money to gamble with. So he's got a mm-hmm. little bit of he's got a little bit of money. And as we follow him along, I, I find it it's it's interesting because I feel we don't see him actually get into a downward spiral. We see him get into trouble and we we see a situation on, unfold that, oh, my God, like he's lost a lot of money. He's down forty four thousand. And James Conn doesn't. He doesn't bat an eye. Oh, yeah. Like he doesn't really seem to care or he doesn't really seem to get it. Like he knows that he's got to get over this, but he doesn't really seem to be engaged with the downward spiral because, oh, well, my my mom will sort of get me out of this or, you know, my my buddy in the mob, who's Paul Servino, who's great in this, you know, like he'll he'll get me a loan from one of his buddies. Like he just really doesn't seem to understand what most gambling movies understand is that there's a downward spiral involved. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that's where this film ends to go ahead and jump right there where, where we get start to get a bit of ex, uh, some, some extreme things happening. And we've got a climax where he's finally flirting with danger and mm-hmm. he's finally flirting with elements that have strangers and are a little bit out of his control. And, where he dangerous gets, as well where he gets hurt and like i think that this guy's uh you know rock bottom is still a ways off but at the end of the film is where he's on that path so and i think that's just sort of an interesting take because the film just seems to be interested in articulating what khan is thinking and he's just constantly got it in his head that i can buck this even though i know mm-hmm. i can't because I talk in my philosophy class about, well, you know what? Dostoevsky used to have an argument for two plus two equals five or whatever it was. So even though it's a losing argument, it's fun to try to make that argument. It's fun to try to, you know, believe that and come out on the other side. Um, And to make that argument, two plus two is five with confidence. And that's what Khan seems to be trying to do here. Like he goes up to these, uh, basketball players in the street, clearly talented uh, guys. Is who's who here is the best among you? Because I've got twenty dollars that I can beat you, and he probably knows full well that it's a long shot and he's going to lose. But that's the type of bet he's looking to make because he's looking to get that thrill, that just minuscule moment of excitement where he's confronting losing. And he hasn't yet, so maybe there's a chance. And and that's what he seems to be dancing along this line of. And the film seems to be trying to give us examples of that and articulate that um, and generated suspense and, and interest from that. So, you know, and I'm, I'm there for it because it's, it's speaking to a mindset. It's, it's very, very interesting to me. Uh, see here, I mean, one, one thing I want to kind of quickly respond to was the... Um, mm-hmm. So when you say it doesn't... Um, like the film, one of the sort of, I think, uh, for me, this is a point of interest. Like the film does not really commit to, let's call it the cliche, right? Mm-hmm. We don't see the downward spiral because if you did, then it would be just, it's like the lost weekend once more, right? And then I don't know yeah. if you've seen the lost weekend. It's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
Oscar like, winning garbage. <laughs> oh yes, Oscar yeah. winning winning garbage. And no, it's just I really did not like it because it's yeah. what it is. It's it's basically a cliche about a guy who keeps a bottle of whiskey on a on a on, on a piece of string outside his window. <laughs> it's essentially flight without the flying, and um, but. Uh, you could argue that one, if you committed to the cliche and actually showed, if the film didn't end where it ended, just continued for another forty-five minutes where it just hit the rock bottom, and then you have to have some kind of a mod, mod, modicum of redemption, some kind of simu, simulacrum of 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 redemption, then you could argue that pr- probably people like Roger Ebert who loved this movie otherwise would probably say it's cliche. It's it's boring. It's predictable. We, we know you know exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, because it follows the beat of the genre of this of redemption story, right? Yeah. But it doesn't do that, and that's the for me. This is the, the interesting part. And then I would say I would even add to this and say, like when you say that he has, he's. I, I totally agree. He comes from this sort of idol rich sort of uh, mentality. Although I would like never batted an eye when he says. Well, I mean to go and fly to Vegas. I'm just like, okay, well, sure, you have to fly to Vegas, I suppose, right? Because because I I'm, I suspend my disbelief. I'm just like, I suppose we need to get to Vegas because we need to show him in a casino, even though probably Atlantic City is a little bit closer. Um, although I'm not sure if it was a thing at the time. No, not not sure. Um, but what happened? What happens? I think as a result, I think there is a scene in the very beginning which you can easily kind of almost omit or forget, where he has to give a toast to his grandfather at his at his I think birthday or something like this, and he just yeah. uh, pays homage to his grandfather's legacy, and then he shows like, look, like uh, he almost shows, just paints this character that he thinks he needs to live up to and i feel like this is also coming from this this is a guy who never had to work for anything in his life because as you say he earns this pittance of a of a salary from the university that probably barely pays his apartment in brooklyn or wherever the hell he lives his mom is a successful surgeon or i think she i think she's a medical professional and then his father his grandfather is like He's he's an oil millionaire, right? Who just has just land and oil in Texas, right, or something like. That. So he's just loaded, like they're the aristocracy of of the East Coast, right? Um, and uh, and in in and you could argue that he never has to. He's never had to work for anything. So you could say that maybe he's just bored and he's doing this because he needs the rush, he needs the juice, right? But then at at the same time, you could say, uh, I feel like he also feels the pressure of having to live up to because because his grandfather, so they have also this sort of scene, which I'm not sure what I'm going to do because like now I kind of feel like through the prism of what this film's trying to do, I think it no longer belongs on the bottom three list. (laughs) Uh, Where they... He goes with um, his girlfriend to meet his grandfather, and then she's in the pool, and then she swims away. And he goes like, "Oh, this is not a girl for a scholar." Like he thinks he's a, like they already put on these expectations on, on on his shoulders. I think like you're a scholar, you're a thinker, you're a philosopher, and he just thinks, "I just I he I feel like he like I feel he genuinely thinks he's faking it." Like he's this raging imposter syndrome, and he's just raging, sort of in in like he feels inadequate. I feel like, and that kind of comes out of this that he's almost lashing out against this perfect life that's been yeah. that, that that he's been coddled by, <clears throat> and uh, that kind of just 
uh, I, I feel this is this is how 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 it's kind of just coming together, and then just um, if, if this is based on James Toback's life, then fair enough. But I, I I feel like this is where the more the most interesting sort of part of the film kind of comes to me. I don't know. There, yeah, there's an interesting piece in that. Like, and I think I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of what I'm about to say is going to go to the end as well. But uh, caked into that, this idea of expectation and and again, James Kahn is this. He's this guy and his super rich family is totally happy with what he's doing with his life because being a scholar, even if you don't get paid much, is totally acceptable. You might be right. James Kahn might be feeling, you know what? I have never really suffered. I have never really worked hard to, I've never really worked hard to, uh, sorry, I just lost it. I've never really done anything and i haven't uh i haven't gotten my hands dirty and i haven't suffered in order to do anything and my the previous generations have like my my mom made it as a single mom and has a mm-hmm. successful career and my uh my grandfather his career is through the roof um in terms of success so you know and i think that by the time we get to the end then he's feeling like i have to suffer in order to live and i don't think like all the duress he goes through though isn't really suffering mm-hmm. um it's and i think that's the point most we get of the to time, right? yeah yeah uh, i mean one one thing is with with his suffering as well i feel like um he, i don't even think he's consciously suffering as in like he thinks oh you know i really need to like like consciously needs to or maybe subconsciously thinks he needs to self-destruct to in order to kind of just feel like he's alive it almost feels like it doesn't matter to him because like money is not no object has never been an object right he's he's a i mean you said like oh his buddy in the mob like his buddy in the mob is just his buddy because they interact so much because he just blows money away with him right uh so i feel like they're just he's just a customer that <laughs> just feels like he has a relationship with us with, with with the with the with the teller right um but then uh, e- equally i feel like he also feel there's there's a privilege cake caked into this like baked into this his character when when he goes and asks his mother for money like he has this sort of uh i feel he has this sort of privilege kind of just flowing through him like there's um there's some kind of um like an angry angry privilege kind of in his character when he interacts with his mother when he asks her for money so like he has this sort of of you owe me mentality and then like whenever he finds out that i think the mob boss who actually gets pissed off at him again and he says like i already went to see your grandfather about the money he told me no right and then yeah. he goes and confronts his grandfather and then just it, it's almost like he's like he's trying to make it his fault uh so yeah I, like it feels like there's there's more complexity kind of just baked into this like this sort of persona of an idle rich sort of scholar who possibly has this sort of inferiority complex i think there's yeah there's that in there yeah and and even too like it's it's interesting like when we ride shotgun with uh burt young like in in a scene like he's he's witness to this beatdown that burt young does on this guy that owes money and burt young is just really uh providing a ride for James Kahn to this loan shark, I presume, or, or some sort of, uh, you know, suspicious guy to, to loan him money. And James Kahn, it 
doesn't even register. I think like he he thinks he's a he's above these people, these deadbeats that you know get beaten up because they can't pay their money back. It's never like, going to happen a, to me. Yeah, <laughs> he just doesn't clue in that he's he's on that path at all. And I find that's fascinating because we we get that type of a a look at him as well. And one of his best buddies is is Paul Servino, who seems like sort of a you know one of the guys on the street for a mob boss just you know running little rackets and reporting back to a, a bigger boss so, so paul servino i think in a way at least in james khan's mind is providing a bit of protection because james khan's just in this world but anything that's bad that's happening people are getting hurt you know the the true danger here james khan's character is is confidently free of it like even this yeah like this stuff is not going to happen to me because you know i've just always had this privilege and i'm i've mm -hmm. always been on this side of the ledger and uh anyway that's cushioned so it's an, by money you know cushioned by money of... yeah and it's it's just so so gently nuanced throughout like we you know we're we're shown this and and we sort of piece it together ourselves that this is a very unique and very specific character that we're learning about. And it's very cinematic. And I, I very much like your take. Yeah, this is very much uh, new Hollywood and 1970s, you know, s street cinema in a way, because, you know, you always feel like you're in an alley or, you know, just walking down the street, like, you're, you know, walking through the streets of Philadelphia and Rocky or something like it has that type of immediacy. And it has that type of validity and authenticity to to the character. Just randomly quoted Bruce Springsteen as well. <laughs> just yeah. walking through the streets of Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, there you go. I mean, but see, in this, I I don't know if you feel this way, but I always feel like I'm on the streets. I'm I feel like this. You know, you can can smell the environment, but at the same time, you're like this is the magical sort of realism of these films that you're equally at the, on the street and in the per, in a person's head, which is fascinating to me but then yeah. I, something i wanted to kind of quickly just bring to your attention as well because like we you, we've danced around this for for a few seconds and i think you, you've alluded to this a few times already where the movie does this weird thing that like the james Khan does not get what's happening to him right like you can like you can see like paul Sorvino's pissed off it's just like you don't understand like they're gonna break your legs they're gonna break your arms they're gonna kill your family and then they're gonna still have you're gonna still have to pay up Right, like, and then and James Khan's kind of like, I don't know, just, I'm gonna just and just like extorts his mum and then just pisses the money away immediately on a bunch of baseball games, well, for, uh, basketball games that he doesn't even listen to the end to know whether they won or not. And I feel like this is this is on purpose. Like I feel this is on purpose that he like you're pissed off like you watch this and you're supposed to be angry just like, no no wait no get off the phone just axel get off the phone don't speak to the book no don't give him the money no just you're supposed to be angry and frustrated with how callously he just waltzes into the mall of danger right yeah and then he doesn't even get it until he's locked in this closet with with essentially Don Vito Corleone or or something like someone someone of that caliber. Like you know this this guy who who he speaks to at the end, he's he means business, right? And then 
he still doesn't get it too much like until until they mention the grandfather and just this is just uh oh i feel this is on purpose like this is, you're supposed to be like the film tr projects this anxiety onto the viewer and then just makes you embody this as as opposed to james khan who just does not care one bit everybody else cares about him including you as a result yeah and i'll add to that because there's another piece in there when he does finally get the forty four thousand dollars because that's how much he has to pay back and mm -hmm. then there's a little scene and then I, I think he's on his way possibly to pay it off i forget where they're going but then he's got money in hand to pay it off and it feels like Reich is doing something with the pacing of the film to throw me off because I feel, okay, well, this is the middle of the movie, the part of the movie where there's a little crisis or there's a, you know, a sort of a, a bump on the rising action. And James Conn gets over that because he gets the money, he gets the, the loan and he sort of bitch slaps the banker, James Woods, and gets, gets the money. <laughs> and now he's got it in hand and I can feel a little bit of relief, but almost immediately he pulls over in the car and he makes these bets that you're talking about, these totally empty, long shot bets. And you you feel anxious because, Jesus, he just had the money. Like, he mm -hmm. just got it. And now, now Reich and Khan are, yeah, they're, they're totally messing with me. And it's just the timing where that, call at the at the payphone goes into the bookie uh, where he's taking the 45,000 and then further then I think he doesn't he go to another bookie because that bookie wanted the money paid up front so he goes oh well, no screw you so then he makes the bets with a second bookie that will front mm -hmm. him the money so then he takes the 45,000 that he does have in hand and pisses that away in Vegas or wherever and say like, oh my god not only did he just throw the $45,000 down but he spent it twice. He spent it twice. He did yeah. it on a loan, which he very briefly had the collateral for. And then he went and, you know, spent his evening at the casino. And yeah, I, th I think that that is very intentional um, because I think it, it speaks to the, the, the pacing that's, that's in the film too, like in terms of, you know, how, how the film's chugging along and, you know, the, the rising and the rising action and, satisfaction and conflict like yeah it's very jarring and uh yeah i think it's very very intentional i mean yeah when you mentioned like what when you watch him almost pisses pisses money away like i feel like, like well up to now exactly one minute ago when i had an aha moment that i'm just gonna clue in in a second on i thought this was essentially the equivalent of watching michael fassbender going like no 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 do not have a wank on the bus okay but then in, it's less powerful because he just does it to himself almost, or maybe I mean, he includes other people and just like it's still sex, right? But um, in so the anxiety is of a, of a different kind. Like you know, just oh, you're now you're you're not fixing yourself. Like you know, you're you're, and he knows you're. Oh, I'm sick, and just I have to do this. It's a compulsion. You know what it feels like. This is my aha moment, and hopefully you're gonna have an aha moment right now. This movie is the 1974 protoplast to uncut gems it's the exact same feeling it's like yeah. he gets the money he gets something and yeah. then adamson just goes and pisses it all away before because he just said he makes a bet because he's th he thinks he's gonna win he he 
bets on a basketball game again, right? I think he does yeah. bets on basketball. And then and, and he thinks, okay, well, whatever he's gonna win, he's he knows he's gonna win, so he's gonna he's gonna just bet the winnings on something else, and he's gonna piss his his other money away, and then some, and just he just starts this chain of events, and yeah. you just as and as you look at it, you go like, no, Adam, just no, just stop. Stop what you're doing, this because it's anxiety-inducing. Like, yeah, that's my aha moment. Just this is Uncle James without the Adam Sander with better hair. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's it's interesting because I think most people, um, they're they're wired in a fashion that they see this type of transactional activity in a movie like Uncut Gems or this or you know even owning Mahoney with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Did you ever see that one? No, but it goes on the Ooh. list. It goes in the bank. Awesome. Like, <laughs> really? That's, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great performance by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Anyway, um, we most people will see these types of transactions as what they are, financial transactions. So they're either impacting expenses, money in, money out. Maybe it's an asset or whatever. We have this type of real-life accounting that we see in this situation what's happening here with james khan he gets this money it's not a transaction the fact that he has his mitts on forty-five thousand dollars ever so briefly that's a conduit to another impulse it's not mm -hmm. really a transaction it's just i have this right now so it means i can do this the the financial side of it just no bearing at all so that in that way it's it's like again it's 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 an attempt to look at sort of the psychology of this because that's all this is. If he can touch the money briefly, he's got collateral and that opens up opportunities A and B. I have the money in hand so I can phone someone, say I have the money in hand and make a bet and they'll front me and then I can take the money in hand and I can go piss it away at the track or wherever. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's yeah, it speaks more to the psychology than it does to, you know, the, the cliche of, what we would expect out of a uh, you know downward spiral addiction type of movie it's yeah it's fascinating i mean arguably if he got the forty-five thousand dollars from his mother and he just went straight to paul sorvino and gave him the money roll credits end of film like the film's 27 minutes long yeah <laughs> and so you kind of have to have a movie <laughs> just <laughs> true but that would be my movie <laughs> if i'm james Caan and i'm I, you know, up to my ears in debt and I get the money and I pay it off. I'm fine with a 25 minute movie. <laughs> oh, Randy, Randy, you're such a good soul. Like if you ever directed a porno, there would be, they would probably be getting married first. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. You probably have like a date. And they, you know, and the end, and they lived happily date. ever after. <laughs> Boom, chicka, wow. <laughs> Oh goodness! No, just <laughs> like I feel like this. Yeah, you kind of have to open some doors to kind of make a movie, and I feel like there is an there is an interesting conversation to be had as we kind of hopefully are having it about what's driving this sort of mentality and what's driving this sort of compulsion. And then on top of that, this is something that you've also alluded to, and I just feel like we kind of need to address in some way. He's because you could argue that this he, we're observing his path to self distraction and the sort of the point of his interest for me at least is. You kind of see it all the way through, I want to say, to the point of no return. Like when he gets physically damaged, he gets physically physically mm -hmm. attacked and he has this uh, scar and this, this manic yeah. sort of Patrick Bateman slash sort of um, Willem Dafoe in any movie sort of look on his face. Just yeah. 
just he's just lost his mind and you feel like okay i know what's going to happen next like, you, like there's this the spiral's complete you don't, you don't have to see it through i know what it's going to look like it can fade to black i can fill in the blanks um but he's not doing it to himself he's doing it to other people too did, did you did you kind of clue into this as well where he teaches a class and what does he teach yeah he essentially just teaches people this sort of philosophy of what he's doing. Like, you know, like the two plus two equals five. It's fun to bet on what's unwinnable just for the, for, for the, for the juice, for the, for the rush. Right. Or I can't remember now in, in exact detail. He has, he has this sort of soliloquy about George Washington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't remember where, it, where it's going with this, but I feel like he's also like, he feels like he's just, is he's just entertaining himself like look i, I can just look at well, me i'm, I'm having he's justifying much... his own beliefs right and so mm-hmm. far as he's an academic he's trying to validate and articulate that for himself as much as he is the audience and the george washington thing i think was all about fear like you know washington was a great man but he was in constant you know fear and that's what drove him to the greatness probably right like mm-hmm. and probably here the the parallel is you know winning the unwinnable you know going on going and playing some one-on-one against a guy you have no business beating right so you know but you, you've got to embrace that you got to be bold and you know like he's he's championing that philosophy you're totally right so it's yeah and it's not just like in a lot of these cliched films you would get the addict is hurting his family and his loved ones and that's what we would expect to see that's here but that's sort of on the periphery a little bit like mm-hmm. it doesn't the girlfriend delve into specifically right the girlfriend and the mom are particularly hurt and even you could mm-hmm. argue the grandfather but that's not where the drama is is here like but you make an excellent point here it's he's actually teaching the next generation this bullshit philosophy yeah like, he actually corrupts one as well because then he finds like yeah. when he's put against the wall and then so what else you got and yeah. he says well what, 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 who do you have in your class? And now I have this star point guard or whatever, right? And then just, well, how about you uh, go and tell him that he needs to win his, his next game but, but by less than seven points, right? Yeah. And uh, he essentially then, he he doesn't, rea- he only realizes after they confront him after the game, right? And just, oh, like I knew you'd pull through and then just, we're going to use this boy a bit more. And then just like, he's essentially just trapped him in the vice of the mob. Now he's, 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 a, even though he, he, he said to him, just, I, I, I do this one time because I don't, if someone finds out I'm going to be in massive trouble, I'm, I'm going to lose my scholarship. I'm not going to go pro. I'm like, his, his entire life is going to be ruined. And he's doing this essentially to, validate his addiction that he's unwilling to cure because once he's out of the woods he's essentially going to do it again like the cycle repeats and then he essentially just goes again and just goes to yeah. like, i don't know almost to like he he now go looking go, goes looking just i got out of this like i'm invincible he thinks so he just goes to i don't know where harlem when people just don't turn right in here because you're gonna get killed and everyone's like hey whitey what are you doing here <laughs> and then he just goes and picks a fight no just just picks up a prostitute and then uh starts a fight with her and just almost to attract the pimp to 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 hurt him like he he i feel like he does he feel he's invincible or he just wants to die hmm there's probably an element of that i wonder if there's an element here that i i think this 
the the business of him because the wheels are starting to fall off and i think this this isn't him in the downward spiral i think this Mm -hmm. movie is him he's an addict and he's trying to find himself find his way to the downward spiral and by the time he sells his soul and gets the basketball player to throw the game in so far as he can well now the mob's got their hooks in him he's not paul servino's best friend he's some he's now He's now a tool for the, the mob to use. Like he's he's involved, he's engaged in a much more dangerous way because he did that. And then sort of the next step is him maybe to go out and feel a little bit more danger. Like there's an element of this where it's about I, I want want to feel that juice. And you know, he never suffered because he's had an easy life. So now he's engaging in situations where he could get hurt. They are more dangerous. I, yeah, I am off, you know, I am on the wrong side of the tracks here. I'm in a very sketchy bar and I'm picking up a prostitute and I'm bad mouthing a pimp. And this is, this can't really go anywhere good. And, and it doesn't. And I think that that, like, that's why the film ends where it does, where he does have this altercation and he does get sliced across the face. And now he's tactile feeling, feeling the danger and you know it's it's very real because he did physically get hurt so now i think he's effectively on their downward spiral and like you say we don't need to see the rest mm-hmm. but yeah so I'm, I'm just wondering this so is he actually feeling invincible as in like every single situation i get myself into i've always i'm like a cat i can he i, can, I, I don't know maybe this is just me thinking to, if this was happening to me i could convince myself that you know maybe i am special <laughs> like like whatever i do just stuff works out and you know like um i, I had this conversation at work today about this sort of because i'm quite tall right <laughs> i just said to myself like for the longest time it just am i am i just living in like a warped sense of reality that i thought that you know if someone's on the phone in a cinema you should be able to just walk up and tell them to just put your phone away because I just do this every time now. Because I, I see a phone light up in in my <laughs> periphery of my vision. Ever since mother in night in two thousand, I think seventeen, I just go up and just just do you want to put it away or do you want me to help you? Right? <laughs> <laughs> just, well, and see, there, just, now that's you being sweet because I would just holler at them. <laughs> no, I just I I, I walk up. And I, I I literally sometimes walk up just and go like. Do you mind not taking the phone call here? Like, do you want to step outside and do this? And then they'll like hundred percent times they'll just like, oh, sorry, you yeah. know. And I just I, I was alerted to the fact, you know, this is because you're huge and you have a beard and you just look scary in the dark. <laughs> I'm like, cool. Well, maybe that is true. But for for a while, I just thought this is this is doable. Like this, but so you kind of you lure yourself into this sort of false sense of like this weird sort of fantastical reality <laughs> this is just doable like i feel like the james can kind of exists in this yeah. universe and i'm mean, not not james khan as a person axel freed exists Axel-free. in this universe yeah. where it's just things like you know i bet money i lose money but money just shows up just out of nowhere and it's just i suppose this is a study on this sort of the privilege of his existence they just shit just happens like you know someone's gonna fall yeah you know just follow through with the money and someone's gonna just he just doesn't care where it comes from because like i don't know his mom just pissed away her her own savings 
um, I suppose she's going to come groveling at the grandfather and he's going to, ah, fine, I'm going to just re- just put some money in your trust fund. Like, just make sure you don't give it to Axel. And you just have to find out. And just, yeah. But it just works out <laughs> yeah. for him. <laughs> and it just feels like, it's, like, I feel like this is a genuine part of the conversation and just it just makes yeah, it I think, fascinating yeah, to me. I, I think you're right. And that, that fits like for the audience. Like we see it's a whole different game now at the end of the movie than it was at the start. Like, like I say, I think that that still works in terms of this is a guy trying to find his way to the downward spiral. And yeah, like stuff gets pretty real at the end because now he is in deep with the mob and he, he is in danger situations and, and getting hurt and on a side of the city that, you know, he doesn't frequent and may not know how to get away from. Uh, so it is different at the end, but that's still probably, you're right, very much part of what's going through his head is, yeah. Look, I can, I can. Like, until he gets this. sliced in the face, I could yeah. argue that he still doesn't get it. Like in how much danger he is. And maybe he still, maybe he still doesn't. And maybe deep down too, this is the well. You know, my 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 mom suffered. You know, going through and you know doing her thing, being a single mom, and my grandfather. He lived and he faced challenges and overcame them, and he was tough. This is him. This is his version of toughness, in a way. He has to manufacture his own uh, sort of the precarious yeah. predicament of his life, so he has to overcome yeah. his own sort of, yeah. Um, which feels exact. It it almost epitomizes the privilege again. Like if you have to manufacture your own oppression to overcome it, I suppose like you just you know, maybe you just use your use your time a little bit differently donate to charity i don't know do something <laughs> i just, just work at a soup kitchen on a sunday just feel alive i don't know run a marathon run a marathon <laughs> with, a, with, with with some kind of a i don't know wristband on i don't know yeah. some, do something <laughs> but then but this is almost like you're just because he's not really helping anyone he's not really like if you think about the universe or or maybe like scale down society at large He's not helping anyone. He's essentially a drain on 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 his immediate surroundings. Like he he's just, he's a problem that people have to deal with, <laughs> and he just thinks like it's yeah. fine. You know? <laughs> it's just, he's like a four year old, just like careering around the house, just breaking shit, and then he doesn't care that just like the parents are like, oh no, do you know how much this costs? And then just don't step on this because we have to go to the hospital. Ah, like, oh, god, <laughs> he's yeah. just like completely <laughs> devoid of any sort of sense of self awareness. It's it's great. So yeah. Is a question then. How come? Yeah. How come is this not necessarily that sort of well? I mean, it was well regarded, but like if you think about like name me a, your top twenty-five films from the seventies, guarantee this is not going to make anybody's list. Why? Yeah, I. It's it's one of those one of those films. It's it's something like Blue Collar, which I still have yet to see. Like there's so many films that. Mm-hmm. came out before before video that it just it seemed freebie and the bean was another one have like you seen hardcore they, i've seen hardcore yeah oh good because if not then this is yeah. like you need to go on like a Porsche Raider sort of binge <laughs> yeah i did i went through a few of his films there a, a couple of years ago um you know and paul schrader is actually sort of an interesting <laughs> connection to this like this feels sort of schraderish a little bit too Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a number of films, 
you know, I'll say from the seventies before video, the video market uh, matured that they ran in theaters. They either made a little bit of money or they didn't. Um, and their life cycle basically ended and it's, they just have taken a long time to find their way to video or to find their audiences. And this is, this is just one of them. And like, there were a number in James Kahn's filmography because we were, we were looking at it and it's like, I don't really know that film. No, I never mm-hmm. saw that one. And I, I think that's probably par for the course. If you look at the slate of films that studios came out with in the States um, in the seventies, uh, you know, just a lot of them didn't, you know, didn't really get a lot of playtime. Like there are a lot of Robert Altman films that, you know, are hard to find and always have been hard to find. So, interesting connection is California Split is kind of like a sort of yes. a Robert Altman. Uh, yep. That's one of the few Robert Altman films I've seen. It's California oh, wow. Split. Yeah. <laughs> Again, courtesy of Mubi, who just randomly had it for like 30 days. So I just watched it. There you go. And a lot of these ones are like if if you if you're <clears throat> excuse me, if you're involved with the with the eighties video market, you're probably looking at genre. It's genre films that are are selling. So going back for these soul searching films, you know, you're not gonna grab a lot of the gamblers, I suppose, when you're, you know, looking at a secondary market that sort of pops up on you in the eighties. You know, you're gonna go back and, you know, dig out you know, films like Bullet and, you know, classics and uh, like that were Oscar Daisy winners. Harry, um, French Connection, know. all that yeah. sort of jazz, the genres, the, the yeah. sort of the, the more, let's just go, call them exhilarating films, right? Yeah. And if you're, if you're looking for quieter stuff, you're, you're probably going to go for, you know, taxi filmmakers, driver. taxi driver or filmmakers, uh, you know, f- not from the States who come with a certain reputation like Kurosawa's mm-hmm. or uh, Bergman's and, you know, those, those types of filmmakers. And you're just, there's a lot of quality from the seventies that was just barely picked up. Now there could be some uh, financial considerations to that too. Like, I, I don't know how much it would cost to, you know, do a run of videos, VHS or DVD for that matter of, of old titles. Like, you know, so there's probably, an element of a studio would say, well, we got to take, let's take 50 from the library and bring them to bring them to the market. And, ha- you know, there'll be some that are on the list and some that aren't. Mm-hmm. But then see here as well, when you think about this, this movie has been remade, for instance, right? Like even like yeah. the, in the current sort of like, let's just say in the last 10 years, the appreciation of this should have probably found it, its footing by now because it's been remade by Rupert Wyatt, yeah, with Mark Wahlberg, yeah, like that film came in when like probably didn't help. It wasn't very good, apparently. I haven't seen this because it, no. I think it played in my local cinema at the time for just exactly exactly half a second and then was gone. Um, so that's one thing. So it was remade. So I mean, someone was aware of this enough to say like, "Have you seen The Gambler from the '74? No, but we're making a remake. So you know." Now it would be the letterboxed sort of uh, homework assignment would be to watch the original, right? Like that, that's what I would mm-hmm. see. Like, and whenever a new film kind of comes around uh, of some description, they can, I can see like this is what my uh, like my old reviews of something I get likes for, for no reason because they oh this is the tie-in that people kind of do. Just, they just do homework <laughs> before going to the cinema, right? Uh, 
and uh, on top of that, there's also uncut gems, which you could argue like this could have been marketed just by, uh, as like by um, the Safdie brothers saying, "Well, we you know we just got inspired by the '70s film because they clearly were inspired by this yeah. because they they are like the sort of they're really sort of obsessive about Scorsese, about the new Hollywood. Like they're literally just tr- trying to kind of transplant this, uh, the philosophy of filmmaking from the seventies into the, mo- through the modern lens. <clears throat> and then it feels like this is what they did. And it's still, <laughs> it still don't, don't, don't hear enough clamor about this movie, which is just great. Like, I mean, I gave it four stars a few years ago. This is a fiver now. Like, I'm not even kidding. This is great. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just feels like this just again like something like it's gonna get remade again like with ryan gosling this time <laughs> <laughs> it's just, and then and then people will be like uh, yeah i don't know like i don't know in my, in my neck of the woods i don't even think you can get it on blu-ray i mean you can watch it for free if you if you look at like there are there are these weird sort of like archival streaming service you can find it online to watch for free on just just as is and then you can also rent it from somewhere digitally, but getting it physically is almost impossible. At least we're in region two. It's very odd. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it might have been different if, you know, the gambler, uh, the Rupert Wyatt, Marky Mark edition, if that had been a hit, you know that that's probably a whole whole different story. Like I don't think that really made any any coin. I don't really know what the gambit was on that check. film. They probably they probably imagined it might you know be an outside shot at award season or get a little bit of clamor i don't don't know or 2014 maybe it would line up well with a streaming service after a brief initial run so i don't really know what the business plan was but if you take something like uh, a star is born you know that's christmas 2014 by the way yeah so they probably (laughs) had a bit of a hope maybe that you know and Mark bomb. Wahlberg would uh, Mark Wahlberg would land on some critics list or get that type of you know notoriety and be a bit of a you know sort of a, a B market type of film in the Christmas season, right? Sort of a mm-hmm. but yeah, if if that had made two hundred million dollars in North America the way A Star Is Born did, then I think the Gambler would have seen a resurgence the way that. A Star Is Born did like that seemed to pop up in streaming queues and mm-hmm. uh, on a, had a DVD release. I think, you know, I mean, when... A Star Is Born had a massive leg up in the, in the form of Lady Gaga being 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 oh, on the poster sure. and yeah. having not one but two songs just ruling the roost on the way on the airwaves. Abs- for... Yeah. And then it also didn't hurt that these songs are awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so there's that. It's yeah, so I think it might just be a matter of that. It's just like, you know, the the size of fish in the in the pond. You know, like Stars Born looked like it was going to be big. Looked like it had an outside shot at awards and big box office, and sure enough, did. The Gambler didn't. So, you know, why why bother go back to get the 1974 film and mm-hmm. and push it? Like we we'll release it to iTunes, but don't need to do much else. You know, I, I don't know the, the business model when it comes into that secondary and tertiary uh, type of uses for and revenue streams for their for their uh, studio inventories, their, mm-hmm. their titles in the vaults. It'd be interesting to know that how that worked and how those decisions get made. But 
Weirdly enough, by the way, like if you look at this stuff on paper, The Gambler from 2014, this is written by William Monaghan, by the way, the guy who wrote The, the Departed, for those who don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if you look at on paper, I mean, apart from Rupert Wyatt, who I want to say at that time did, well, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, that was the only thing that he did that was kind of of, of note, of international note, apart from The Escapist. Okay. Um, which I think was more like more more sort of limited to, say, British cloud, right? And uh, so you could argue that he's he's uh, it's a it's a weird sort of film for him to make, and then just, but you could you could say that this is is this a shot at like because he released it on Christmas against I don't know what, Christmas twenty fourteen, but it feels like it's either counter programming or, mm-hmm. uh, or a genuine sort of awards push. I think it's probably like I, I see it's produced by Erwin Winkler, so you know he's he's got some clout. So this probably Winkler is... produced the original, didn't he? Ooh, yeah, he might have actually. Yeah, I think he did. Um, but John Goodman, that's around the era where John Goodman was in every Best Picture, <laughs> it wasn't like so. When was Flight? <laughs> oh, fl- Flight. Just just tell me. <laughs> Uh, and yes, Edwin Winkler did produce The Gambler in 1974, so he produced both, I suppose, as a result of having probably rights. 2012, so it's right around there, flight. Okay, yeah, so... so yeah. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> like you, can't, you can't make it up, can you? So, yeah, I think that's... Pro- what was the budget on The Gambler in 2014? Oh, like 30, 30 million, something yeah, like so that. Yeah, so that's a film, I think, like for that, for a drama with really just the one big star. I, I think there's some ambition there for... So Marky Mark probably took 10 of this. <laughs> true, but, you know, to, to, to pony up 30 million, 30 million for a drama, I think that they're hoping to get 50 or 60 out of the box office and then have some sort of avenue to sell it on streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're probably hoping, if they're hoping to get 60 million at the box office, they're probably hoping for award season, word of mouth, and, you know, that type of that type of thing. Now that didn't that, happen, did it? Because apparently no. the film was not very good. Reception. No. Oh. I didn't see it. Jesus. It's 44% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's like... It, so just fair. It's just, it, it is fair, but it just tells you that like most... like it, uh, it, it very sort of... I don't know. I don't... I don't like the sort of the ratings as well because it only... It, it's a low of averages, right? Yeah. So if 100%... If, if, if 100% critics give a film three out of five it's 100 percent certified fresh which yeah. is just about average <laughs> so, so it means nothing to me but but still it's just it's just a weird sort of wrinkle that you look at this movie from the 1970s which kind of just slots into this sort of new hollywood groove which you could argue now that people like the twitter sphere of 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 the film appreciation society is in love with like the Scorseses and Schraders. And if you think about like the Schrader is a good shout as well when you think about this, right? When you think about um, Taxi Driver, uh, Bringing Out the Dead, uh, First Reform, The Card Counter, all these films, like it's again, yeah. it's it's same sort of archetype of people kind of just falling out of 
so out of the sort of loop of reality and into a downward spiral of self-destruction while while yeah. you're observing how how they lose their mind not necessarily knowing that they that they are losing their mind like carson that's gonna tell me that you know like the first reform ending is is real well i'm just saying like no no he's uh he's he's dead on the floor he drank the uh whatever the drano and then he's just dying on the floor he's not he's not kissing anyone <laughs> but regardless like the the comp here is like it's a psychology film and it's not a film that's that's interested in the cliches necessarily or or you know spending much time with the cliches associated with it and i think that's what makes the, the gambler such an interesting an interesting thing like and like you do see the worsening uh, of Khan's behavior. Like one thing also towards the end, like his relation, we haven't really talked about his girlfriend played by Lauren mm -hmm. Hutton. And I think she's great in here. Mm -hmm. I find there the last time we see her, um, Khan is starting to get a little bit unhinged. So he comes on to her as if he wants to, you know, have rough sex with her or whatever. And he sort of pushes her up against the wall and he's kissing her and she's non-responsive. And it's, what fascinates me about that moment is that she's going, she goes limp in his hands and he's shaking her. And it's almost like, well, you know, the relationship's over at that point because she doesn't really want any part of this. She's been supportive all along, but Khan has become in essence, a almost like a, a, a predator of some sort. And she is treating him as if like her self-defense mechanism is just to go limp and maybe he'll go away you know it, it's almost like hiding from a bear an animal <laughs> yeah exactly just it's uh, like i was i was fascinated by how that scene you know played out okay well khan's getting unhinged maybe you know we see that type of thing you know maybe that's sort of a side effect of you know this this gambling addiction and compulsions and getting out of control um but I think it's a really astute way to work with the actress and get Lauren Hutton to play that. So between Hutton and Reich, you know, like there's a very interesting portrayal there on her part of, you know, it's wouldn't say they're going after like victimhood or anything here. They're, they're portraying this. This woman is now fearing for her life. So, you know, play it like you're. <laughs> is she fearing for her life? Do you think? I think so. And some, in, yeah, like I believe so. Because like he's he's showing signs now like that like he's sort of pretty close to the point of no return and beyond it like I think that that's sort of what this this moment is supposed to uh, communicate to us that's what I took from it at least I mean I suppose you could you could kind of read it and read it that way that you know from her perspective uh, seeing I mean well because you know. <laughs> this is a number one cause of death for for men in in their fifties is. It's probably just a heart attack, and then for a number one cause of death for this, all women is just men. <laughs> so you know, it's a, so there's this sort of culturally sort of yeah. baked in when she sees like this guy's just angry and he's raging. She's just probably saying, if, if I play my cards wrong, like I might I might not exit this room alive. Like this is this is a genuine concern, right? Yeah. Um, but equally, I just feel, and this is this may be a just brilliant piece of direction or maybe screenwriting for her character, where. For for the longest time, when you see them interact, I f I feel like whenever she's trying to kind of just uh, prod at him and just like do, um, like try try to change his mind, he almost instinctively fights against, as though 
he enjoys the challenge and then feels like his addiction is kind of just bleeding into real life almost right he's it's not only about horses and 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 basketball games or and 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 crabs or something like this uh no one mentioned the word snake eyes (laughs) 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 and by the way did you know and and just this total aside um when they go to Vegas and they're playing crabs and just come on lucky seven and the guy who's like at the other t- end of the table I was just thinking is this Gene Hackman playing a cameo <laughs> just, no I didn't notice I don't but I, I, don't, I, I looked up and like it, it according to Gene Hackman's IMDb he's not he's not in it <laughs> so, so maybe not him unless he's uncredited although IMDb would probably have said that it's not, he's uncredited anyway I'm just thinking to myself like when she's when he, when he goes at her in in the apartment and she goes limp i feel like this is only, like the defense mechanism if she if she fights against him he's going to think he this is going to encourage him to actually go well five, two, 2 plus 2 equals 5 you know like i'm just to, just i'm going to yeah. fight this because i and i enjoy the challenge and then if you remove the challenge he almost like loses interest he's just like tyrannosaurus rex like, if you don't move you he doesn't see you right so yeah, yeah. It's like a predator. <laughs> <laughs> like the alien predator. Oh, it's not going to attack anything that's not a threat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just spent 100 minutes of my life watching Prey and then 20 minutes of that was, being, was me being, being preached at. Just like, <laughs> why are like you doing Prey. this? Because everyone thinks I can't. Well, that's a great motivation to lead your life. I am sick and tired of this already. Like I'm sorry. Uh it's not the time and place to do this, but just like praise, just like it's alright. But Jesus Christ, can we please stop just for at least one film without the sort of with without any political agenda? I just want to watch a genre film for just for a change. Just That's fair. Like, <laughs> like, like That's fair. I, like I don't feel, I don't think Predator 2 of Stephen Hopkins like was was like or just home, someone in the studio was like, let's just baking some some random politics that we're trying to just put in our films i don't think anyone thought about this at this point it was just if it came into the film they came into the film but it's just it feels like it's just like from from the top just this has to be about feminism i'm like once fine twice is great like now it's everywhere just calm down (laughs) anyway the gambler the gambler (laughs) back on you're finished are you (laughs) Because I was no, I mean, okay. Because I was genuine. Because everyone just keep like you even did. Just well, watch pray, yeah. watch pray, and people at work were like, "Watch pray." I'm like, well, "Have you seen pray?" I'm like, "No." I watched the beast, <laughs> and arguably there is also feminism in the in beast, but it's way better because it kind of comes out naturally almost. <laughs> so, so there's that. Okay. The gambler. <laughs> gambler. Oh, I know, I know. There's one thing I wanted to mention. There's a Richard Rush connection in this film. Did you notice? Richard so Rush? Free... Other well, than James know, We Khan. did Freebie and the Bean. It kind of just has to... Well, yeah. <laughs> Apart from... and, 19... and 1974. Okay, well, there's another Richard Rush connection apart from James Khan and this being uh... from the same year. No, let me check the cast list quickly. It's not in the cast. It's... But it's in the crew. Yeah. No, tell me. It's edited by Roger Spottiswood. Oh. oh, was it? I didn't who catch that. Who took over Air America? 
There, yes. Okay. Uh, cool. There you go. I just wanted to. I just wanted an excuse to say Roger Spotted Wood. <laughs> Stay tuned, everyone, for an episode on Best of Times. <laughs> it's just, it's just uh, you know, is there a Spotted Wood in there? First name Roger. <laughs> I need a Roger Spotted Wood. <laughs> Uh, it's like my my boss used to, told me that he is, he he used to have a friend in school whose uh, name was Christopher Peacock, and then everyone was calling him Chris Peacock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the best. <laughs> yeah, it's a Simpsons call waiting to happen, isn't it? <laughs> poor, poor Roger in his English class too. If he if he happened to be a little bit slower, and the teacher would ask another kid to. Can you please help Roger spot his wood? <laughs> <laughs> Someone's got to go to the back of the class and help Roger. <laughs> Ooh, Roger spot his wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry, Poor but guy. this is just hilarious. I think he's <laughs> anyway. from, he's from Ottawa too. I think that guy I grew up in. Ottawa. There you go. So, <laughs> I think. and as we've established, it's just a short four and a half hour drive from where you live. <laughs> yeah short jaunt half a day yeah 12 12 hours yeah is it 12 hour skip. drive probably is yeah probably i think so <laughs> it's just, something uh, like that or more anyway so, we might be running out of steam are we i i think i think we're ready to wrap this because i don't know i've run out of notes and i well i'm lying i didn't have any notes this is all came, coming out of my out of my noggin <laughs> so uh, so tell me, final take, and then let's just do this that way. Let's just wrap this baby up. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah, I really appreciated having this conversation and sort of fleshing this out and talking about this character. I, uh, I, I really liked your your take on how this fits into the world of New Hollywood in the seventies. Because yeah, you're absolutely right. And this here is a film about psychology and. James Kahn was what a fantastic actor. I am so happy to be jumping into some of his earlier films. Like I said, in my opening, like this guy had range and he can, you know, act with uh, machismo and, you know, just have incredible stature or he can be very subtle and he can do banter and improv. And here he is incredibly nuanced and he is giving us a very, rich complete character study of you know a very specific guy i think that it's an important part of the conversation to say that this is you know a a very unique and you know uh privileged upper crust spoiled guy who is making his way to the cliches of you know gambling addiction but we don't get to see that here we see more about what what makes him tick and what the what the psychology is behind it and what his impulses uh, are. And the film does a really good job articulating it. And, you know, it's, it's a strong, it's a strong script. There are really good relationships here with uh, James Kahn and those people in his orbit, his grandfather and his mother and his girlfriend um, and even his, his buddies. Like it is really an interesting and strong character piece with strong performances and i can't recommend it enough yeah mm -hmm. i think it's a five star for me too there you go no this 
well said oh i will say i agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said this is amazing truly magnificent piece of filmmaking elevated to five stars immediately on this on the second watch and then just i really think like the more you, you talk about it, you kind of know just it, it's about addiction it's about the sort of mechanics of gambling it's just i mean mechanics of how how this sort of person thinks and again yeah. about privilege i mean this is something that just, this conversation kind of helped me just kind of realize this like this movie is about the sort of the upper class privilege and just fascinating study and how how you how this sort of even corrupts other people it's just great just go and watch it five stars james khan rest in peace is was just such a powerhouse oh my goodness mm. yeah and i'll say after watching a couple of his films uh from Elf. the 70s <laughs> yeah if you only know him from the godfather and his work after 1999 we'll say just his little cameos and things like bottle rocket and just his appearances and things like way of the gun if you only know that james khan please do yourself a favor and go back and see whatever you can from pre-1985 james khan because he was something else just start with this and thief it's pretty much what i'm what i'm yeah. what i'm gonna say and then just at this point like you just you just think to yourself i could say you could just throw a ball at any film that he made and they'll still yep. probably be in there satisfied it's just he was in the bridge too far as well look at that <laughs> I mean, everyone and their mother was in yeah. the bridge too far <laughs> true yeah <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just saying uh yeah he was such a such a talent Oh my goodness! Such, I mean, then although I, I, I don't want to slag off his '90s output because I may be one of the li only living aficionados of a racer, because <laughs> he's, <laughs> uh, and I'm not even, and it's not even hard for me to like this movie. A, because Arnold's in it, and Arnold's amazing. And B, James Caan's in it, and he's a yeah. villain. So. <laughs> But it's then, it's still it's different the farther back you go. Check out old James Caan movies. Although you do watch a razor and then just see Arnold yeah. just kill an alligator and say, Your luggage. <laughs> <laughs> Your luggage. <laughs> anyway, I think it's time for our top threes. Is it Tops. Much? Yep. Let's do this. Alright, I've got four, so I'll just list them. Um, nothing so small as to call it an honorable mention. I love the whole idea of the two plus two equals five. It sort of strikes you as odd and what the hell is he talking about? But you really do get a sense that that ridiculous principle is sort of front and center in how his mind works and, uh, you know, in how his uh, brain processes his addiction. Like the two plus two equals five. It's impossible, but he loves pushing up against the impossible because there's that brief moment where, hey, maybe I won't lose. And that seems, that's the juice he talks about. And you see it in the basketball scene. So just the whole idea of that as a talking point, although it seems sort of basic, it's really strong. And I really enjoyed that. I do, do like the scene. Sorry, go ahead. Do you think it's the same juice that Lizzo sings about? It ain't my fault. <laughs> I'm out here breaking loose. <laughs> No, I think it's a different juice. <laughs> Just... I think it's a totally different juice. 
Uh, okay, I really like the scene where uh, James Kahn is getting a ride with Burt Young in the car, and he's going to see this guy that confront him some money, a loan shark. But we got to make one. We got to make a little stop first. I just love the whole scene, and I, I love that James Kahn. He doesn't understand the environment he's in. He's having this great chat with this guy that just smashed up a guy's apartment and you know broke his arm probably and pulled, pulled his arm out of his socket at the shoulder. And then he has a little conversation with Burt Young about, and Burt Young's like, oh, I wish I went to college. And uh, anyway, John, James Conn says, what, what do you mean? You, you, got, you got a great life. You just drive around, you got fresh air, and you got a free afternoon. <laughs> it's just such a spoiled kid talk there. And it's great. It's just sort of a great little scene in the middle of uh, you know, all this. And the audience is getting introduced to the threat. But James Conn, totally oblivious. And it's just, yeah, it's very prominent in that scene love and i love burt young in general uh number two yeah and i mentioned this the the scene getting closer to the end where khan is on the you know cusp of getting himself to the point of no return where he comes on to hutton and he tries to force himself on her and she just goes limp as if it's like a self-defense mechanism i think just that's a well-acted scene it's well realized um if it's not in the script it's well realized by the director and the performers and comes off really sort of jarring and I, I really really like that moment and number one there is something very haunting and ethereal about the the hum and the score and the strings I think it is in the, in the opening and then any of the gambling scenes is just this haunting score and it sort of made me feel almost like I'm there there's almost like a, a I'll say it like a religious plane. Like I'm watching this mm -hmm. from above. There's there's something between us, like spiritual, only in a very negative sense. It, it feels almost like some of the feelings I had watching uh, Decalogue. It's been a long time, but Kozlowski, the way that he would explore sort of the, the psychology of the moment and mm -hmm. sort of keep himself and the viewer on this other side of it and there's just this sense throughout a few of these scenes the gambling scene so it's the the poster shot where it's a low low angle and you see james Conn and you see this beautiful light fixture above him but the, the score that's playing during that and the score that's playing just after he leaves the gambling house at the in the opening it's just so haunting and it uh yeah it made me feel a little bit like i was watching uh some you know decalogue or, or something mm -hmm. that's what it made me think of just sort of on a uh feeling it type of level so it's just so much power so much great stuff in the gambler and that's in, number one interesting wrinkle from with me the music by the way is it's written by jerry fielding who was a blacklisted composer in the 60s and he just emerged from the blacklist i think just late 60s or something like that and uh, what I also found, like, did, did you notice in the credits, it says the music's inspired by um, Mahler's Sym Symphony Number no. 1. So it's effectively, I think, I don't want to say it's ripping off, but I think when, when they credit it like as such, I think there's, there's quite a lot of ripping off going on. So, so it, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying, because I feel like it kind of harkens back to a, 
classical piece of music. And then one little wrinkle I had for the music as well, because there are these ominous tones in there, when, especially when you have these sort of very slow zooms. But occasionally they, it has these sort of horns coming out of nowhere. Did you notice that? <laughs> it feels like James Horner in Battle for the Star Beyond the Stars. <laughs> Like, or like crawl. It's just great. <laughs> it just feels so amazing. Uh, yeah, no, it's an awesome top three. Top four, actually. I've got three. I'm going to list them. So, one, the steering image, just the, when the movie closes on, <laughs> just like a sliced face when you're just like, okay, this is when it's happening. And just almost like it, it's a freeze frame uh, with a sort of manic expression on his face. Like he just lost his marbles. This is great. Um, another one that, <laughs> that I have is the uh, moment after the bas basketball game where he's kind of just realizes that that he's corrupted an, uh, uh, the kid. Kind of sort of paired up with the uh, moment where he's in the bathtub listening to the uh, basketball game. Do you think he's contemplating the kid at that point? Or do you think... I, I sort of took it that, if anything, he's contemplating himself and his own situation. Mm -hmm. he's just He's a selfish, selfish in, guy. In the bathtub? No, at the at the end of the basketball game where he's having sort of that thoughtful moment. I mean, okay, maybe this is just me projecting. I mm -hmm. hope he's contemplating the kid. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it could be just like, Whoa, what am I going to do now? I got out of this again. Let me just go to Harlem and just pick a fight with a pimp. <laughs> so so it's, it's just odd. Um, uh, yeah, So, but the sort of scene in the bathtub as well, I think he also had this sort of ominous music in the in the background, how he just... Like you're anxious because like the camera just closes in on him while he has the radio on the on the on the edge of the bathtub and just this is a suicide waiting to happen. <laughs> By the way, just like toaster yeah. oven, zoop, done. Um, and the best scene, like you mentioned this already, Bert Young making a stop, <laughs> and then you don't quite know what where it's gonna go because Bert Young is just playing it really cool and subtle for the most part. He says, so where's your where's your husband? Oh, he's away. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And he uh, just puts her in the corner and just takes a chair and just smash <laughs> into the yeah. cabinet. And then there's this little wrinkle where he picks up this ship yeah. from the shelf and he gives it to James Cameron. Hold this. <laughs> he doesn't want to ruin it. And yeah. he just <laughs> and he just smashes this just shelving. And he finds a guy in the closet. So oh, he's at work, eh? <laughs> He just breaks his arm. And then you think to yourself, like, see, see, Axel, this is what happens when you don't pay your dues. And Axel's kind of like, he's like Homer Simpson. Like, you feel like the inside of his head, there's a donkey and just going, ah! <laughs> just, he's just already thinking about the next bet he's going to make. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great scene because it just goes from the sort of, Casuals, oh, what do you do in college? Ah, oh, you do this. Ah, oh, great, great. Let me just make a stop. Is your husband home? Oh, yeah. just uh, hold this and then just goes into this mayhem. It's great. Show me your bottoms now. All right, a couple small ones. So during the knife fight at the end, I guess if you want to call it a knife fight, a, an altercation at least, 
there's a brief freeze frame in there, mm-hmm. which I thought that's sort of weird. Going hard boiled, hard, hard boiled for a moment, yeah. Uh, as that's one, I don't really groove on those usually. Um, this is one, so in a way, it's sort of hilarious. In a way, it works, but you know, it's hard to find some weak moments. But uh, I will, I will call James Kahn out on this. The guy goes to a movie because he has an evening to kill, and he's waiting oh, for. Yeah. He's waiting for the games to be played and to get the the results. And this asshole like in the middle of a darkened theater. This is so much worse than just flashing your phone to check a notification in the theater. This guy pulls out a portable radio, pulls out the antenna, turns it on, adjusts the volume, tunes into the radio station that he wants to listen to his results. He's like, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. <laughs> And he's just like, can you please shut up? I'm listening to the game. I'm like, fuck you. What? (laughs) An asshole. Oh, we needed you, Jakob, and your six foot five frame to lurk over him. But I guess Axel Freed is just not going to care. Walking walking up to him, just like, can you... Can you please turn off the... Oh, Mr. Khan. Oh, nice to see you. Can you... (laughs) Would you sign my ticket? (laughs) Sign my boob. Just sign my boob. (laughs) So... Yeah, I've got to call out that heinous, heinous behavior. Uh, this is as good a place as anywhere to mention mm-hmm. it. Um, okay, yeah, I have this labeled here just in my notes. A couple moments that feel briefly like they're from other genres. So Khan is sitting in a park and there's this underused or hardly ever used little amphitheater and there's a homeless guy that's, you know, singing, singing. there. <laughs> and Khan is just... Again, you know, this privileged lifestyle where he's got nothing to do, nowhere to be. He's just hanging out in the park. And these these goons, these thugs that need to take him, they just drive the car through the park, up by the up by the amphitheater. I think they knock over a few chairs. Like, what are we? Are we in Freebie and the Bean here for a second? So just sort of a weird We're <laughs> moment. We're in Die Hard of Vengeance for my friend. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um... <laughs> Yes, it's in, New so, York. it's in New York. It's what it is. They can just like someone on a picnic goes like, "Hey, asshole, take your card." <laughs> yeah. So, and then also another moment feels like it's just from another genre. That, in a way, even though I I like where we go with the, the 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 finale, the ending, the tone of the climactic confrontation has this weird, over the top exploitation type of vibe, and and the actress who plays the prostitute, I find that she is just too shrill for me just hey no get in here you know like uh, yeah so she was sort of the bottom of the bottom oh wow i kind of just run culture and horses through my bottom three list as well (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh well so sorry um, okay no don't be sorry because like it's it's hard to find really three genuinely annoying moments from from a movie that's otherwise just brilliant so I'm going to say that there's one thing that really bothered me. I mean, not really bothered me. It kind of bothered me when this, there's a scene in the pool where Lauren Hudson's in the pool and she's just swimming and then there's this casual misogyny going on on the, on the side of the pool. Because like, look at her. It's just how nice she looks. And then she just she just, just, just does a just half-decent backstroke. <laughs> and then, But then she barely swims away and then just the grandfather goes like, you dump her. Dump her. She's not <laughs> yeah. a... Not a girl for a scholar. <laughs> she's a she's a she's a wife for a I don't know someone. I'm just 
she can hear you. <laughs> it's, just, it's not like she just moved away. Yeah. Uh, She's not underwater, you know? No, <laughs> no. So I'm going to leave out as well the homeless guy singing in the park because I was just like, what is this doing here as well? As well as uh, James Khan clearly not being able, because I'm, I'm not being able to jump over over a park bench and just just falling face first like a bag of potatoes. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> but at the end of the at the end of the day, he's a scholar. So, yeah. So he doesn't do much exercising, I suppose. Um, so instead, what am I going to do instead? Because it's just like my 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 list has been kind of just taken taken butchered apart, butchered. <laughs> Uh, you know, I know. I, this one, this little thing, just a little bit annoying. Just a little bit annoying. I don't quite understand the piece of direction, or is this just ha- how it happened when he accosts uh, Lauren Hudson's character in in on on their way to her house, and she just frightens because he's just hi- hiding on the stairs, and then she opens the door and just takes the key out of her hand and opens her own door. Like what? Why? What's going on in there? Just oh yeah. So oh, I know. I remember another one. Just, maybe that's not the, the one. One thing that really bothered me as well was the sort of like in in the bank when he just goes like, "Well, my I came out of her womb, so she doesn't need two pieces of identification." <laughs> and the guy's like, "Fine, then that's half your forty-four thousand dollars." Like he gets, he probably will get the sack the same day. <laughs> Is this the sort of study of privilege again? Because he's just like, "I need the money, buddy." Um, and the worst was my like I, I kept it in the back of my head this sort of the cinema moment because it really fucking buttered my parsnip if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, uh, but yeah, it's just such a dick move. And, and I mean, they're not what I I was I was wondering what what they're watching as well. Is this like a? <laughs> I was just, are they watching Ombre? <laughs> this looks like they're just watching like a random western. But this just such a dick move. It's not like they can go and watch it on Netflix because that's the Netflix. And, uh, you know, like it should have been a porno theater, actually, in all fairness. Like, <laughs> just to... Yeah, it was the 70s. That would have been that would have been funnier, too. Um, it's but it's just evident it, that when people pull porn. out, when people pull out a device in the theater, you can't concentrate on the screen. So I was also trying to figure out what movie is this? But there's no way I was going to figure that out with this asshole. <laughs> Pulling out a portable radio, a basketball game. Especially, and he's he's the equivalent of what you know, like the people on the bus who who just have phone conversations like this when they just hold, yeah, uh, um, uh, yeah, like they hold the phone like a waffle. <laughs> like, are you gonna bite into it or what? <laughs> it's just like all you want to do is just slap it out of her hands. Just there, now it's broken. See, <laughs> but apparently this assault. That's um, what they say. So, so you know, uh, yeah. So that's it. You know, <laughs> the guy in the, the James Conn in the cinema, not cool. End of tweet. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. So I think this is it. So I think um, the Gambler. I think if you live outside of the UK, you can watch it pretty much everywhere you like, and it's available on physical media. I think you're, you have you have to rent or purchase it um, if you live in region two. But you can, if without without too much hassle, find it to stream. I think because there are, there are some cut. I think there are masters of it. There are for some reason maybe in public domain. So I think it's you. you there is a, there are ways to watch it without really endangering yourself too much. And that's it. 
So we did it. We completed our little bit of an impromptu James Khan double bill. So Freebie and the Bean and the Gambler. And Carnathon. Uh, yeah. The Carnathon. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. very small, it's a half <laughs> Carnathon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, one day we'll, we'll do a bit, a bit more of a Carnathon. Because he has, he has a bunch of films I have, I have not seen. So, you know. We should probably just get back to it at some point. But then again, like we have like so many episodes that are just like we should totally do this, that, and the other. There's like a decade of of, of podcasting just somewhere yeah, in so here. Stay anyway, tuned. We'll stay tuned for more Khan. Raff of Khan. It's gonna be Raff of Khan series. Um, anyway, Randy, where can we find you and your stuff? And I promise I'm gonna edit this piece. <laughs> Okay, yeah, bring it on. Oh, goodness. <laughs> like, it's just like I never get time to do shit like this. I'm just like, oh, Randy's going to be pissed. <laughs> it's okay. We Canadians are very forgiving. You can find me on Twitter at Randy Burroughs. You can find me on Letterboxd at Bratch7. And you can find me on clapperltd.co.uk. Whenever I pull my finger out and edit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's sort of a, a, a buddy system here. I I write and Yakov edits and moves it further and then, down the chain. And, and, and this goes down the rabbit hole of other people saying, yep, yep, this needs a comma somewhere in there. <laughs> just, uh, anyway, find me, talk about film Twitter, Jakob Flash Letterboxd, flashfilmfilm.com, where I edit my own shit. <laughs> uh, which means that like three days after I pull the piece out, I'm just like, there's a, there's a typo in here, Jesus. Or just like what, what I was thinking, because because I, I live in the world of the first draft. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, me just too. How I, that's how I roll. <laughs> just, uh, maybe maybe sometimes I'll just think, you know, maybe I'll just sleep on this and read it again, and then I'll just yeah, you know what? Well, I'll just press publish instead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Yakov has to go, Yakov has to go through all of my essays because I write words like customize, I Z E, and he has to change them all to I S E. Um, I don't do this anymore. Like I, I decided okay. um, this is this is the uh, copy editors down the line that do this oh, because okay. they're they've graduated from British universities <laughs> and they're very particular about this. Meanwhile, I feel like the Z has made an, ma- made its home in the English vernacular already. So it's just like outside of the acad- the academic ivory towers, no one gives a shit. So. Although I there still I still insist on pronouncing the word Z the, the Z. <laughs> anyway. What was I? Oh yeah, follow the show. Uncut Gems Pod everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Uh yeah. is the HQ where can you can go and browse and peruse everything that we've done. I should probably just now go and uh, make sure that the uh, A to Z in- index is up to date because I think I sometimes forget and there's like 30 episodes missing in there. Um, <laughs> um, on top of that, patreon.com slash uncutgemspod is where you can find our bonus podcast. So this month, Ombre, a retrospective on Joe and jo- Joel and Ethan Cohen directed noir films and a straight story are going to make an appearance on there. You can also support the show with a one-off donation, coffee.com slash uncutgemspod if you want to buy us a coffee. You can also leave us a review or a star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts, which is absolutely free to do, and I thoroughly encourage you to do this if you enjoy what you're listening to. So, that's about it. And, and stay one tuned more thing. To... Well, Sorry, one yeah, more thing. Much. It's probably worth 
people's time to go check out Niccolo's Twitter to see all of the cool stuff he's been seeing at Venice. Right. So that's at NickyGra97 uh, at Twitter. I almost forgot that he's still in Venice. <laughs> Uh, yeah. By the time you're listening to this, probably not sure if he's still in Venice. He'll Maybe probably still be in a coma, but his tweets possibly will live yes. On. <laughs> but he, he, I don't know. I, I saw. I think he when he tweeted his reaction to white noise, he got like a thousand likes on this. So you know, like he's he's you know, he's making it happen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, just follow him on follow him on Twitter and see how how difficult it is to kind of get to cinemas in in Venice because you have to take boats everywhere. And these boats are not the fastest. <laughs> so, so there's that. Uh, yeah, stay tuned until next week. What are we doing next week? Next week, I think we're doing the River Wild. So stay tuned. Yes. Because I think, fingers crossed, Jackson's going to come back for this. Uh, as the resident, uh, sort of, the 90s defender, the champion of the 90s, uh, is going to make an appearance. So we'll be talking about Meryl Streep on a boat river white river rafting or white water rafting whatever uh yeah so that's about it so see you guys all next week bye bye end of tweet mm-hmm.